How you doing? You doing well? My name's Peter. I'm, uh, I'm one of the leaders out here. Uh, good to have you out. Who, uh, who knows that it's good to hear what God's got to say? Yeah? yeah? All right. Who knows that uh, what God's got to say is not just something uh, that we need to know in our heads, but we need to know in our hearts, like deep. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. Here's where we're going today. The first, uh, basically the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1 is about the, the blessings that God has showered upon you. All right, and then what we actually find happens in Ephesians one is that Paul kicks into a prayer. All right, people have all sorts of ideas about praying. All right, you might be sitting here today as someone who doesn't know Jesus and thinking it's weird. Like, what are you doing? You're talking to someone that you can't see. How do you even know he's there? Sometimes even Christians can feel like this. They they sit there and they just have that thought. This is a bit weird. All right. Uh, sometimes people say things like, "I feel like my prayers." are bouncing off the ceiling. Uh, some people say things like, uh, um, God, if you just get me out of this trouble, then I'll follow you for the rest of my life. Um, there's, there's prob- it's probably true that the greater you sense uh, your need, the more that you will pray if you love Jesus. The more that you're aware of what is beyond you, the more that you'll talk with the one uh, with whom nothing is beyond. Um, God gives generously to his children when they call upon him in prayer. Is that true? He does. All right. That's, uh, that's the scriptures say that over and over. And in fact, uh, in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul actually encourages everyone. He says, you need to pray all the time. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about what that is. So let's, uh, let's just dive in a little bit into Ephesians 1. So if, you, if you've got a Bible there... Uh, can you turn to Ephesians 1? If you don't have one, there's a heap of them up the back. And um, if you don't have one at home, just take one of those with you. All right. Ephesians 1. <coughs> We're going to start at verse uh, 15 in Ephesians 1. <coughs> Pardon me. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, just stop there for a minute. Uh, We're at the start of verse 17. What Paul's just about to tell you is what he's been praying for the Gentiles, okay? And I I think it's a pretty safe bet that he would pray those things for you this morning, okay? Um, Here we go. So, verse 17, what does he pray? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, here's a good question for you. Why do we pray? Well, I'll tell you one reason why we pray is that God has ordained that his work actually be brought about by people praying. All right? God has works that he wants to do in the world and the way that he's planned it to happen is that people would pray and he would respond to that. All right? Now, God is not a computer, all right? People say things about prayer where they say, 
Um, God already knows what we want. He already knows what we need. So why would we talk to him? All right. Well, he's not a computer. It's not about the fact that God needs a particular piece of data or he has a piece of data and so we don't need to talk to him. God's actually a person. All right. So why, why would it be surprising that he would want us to actually talk to him about stuff if he's a person? I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments where you knew what someone wanted and you could have done it for them without them asking you for it, but you didn't because you wanted them to talk to you. Have you ever had one of those? I mean, a lot of parents have had that, right? A lot of parents look at their kids and they go, I know what you want right now and I could actually go and do that, but I want you to come and ask me. I want you to come and talk to me. Why? Because you want relational, personal connection. You see, if you have ever been in one of those situations where you're saying, I want you to come and talk to me, even though I know what you need and I know what you'd like and I could do it without you talking to me, you understand what God's saying about come and pray to me. Come and talk to me because it's not just about an exchange of data. It's actually about a relationship. It's about being personal with God. Now, one of the... uh, I was thinking about this this week. One of the, um, the scriptures that is, I think, probably one of the... It might be in the top 10 scriptures that get violated by Christians by the way that they use it, right? Uh, is one I'm about to read, right? But let me set it up for you. Have you ever heard someone say, why would I pray to God or why do I need to pray to God? He knows what I need anyway. Have you ever heard that one? That statement, if you've ever said it, right, and I'm pretty sure I've said it a bunch of times, that is the exact reverse of the point that Jesus makes in Matthew 6, all right? Let me read it for you. Actually, can you go to Matthew 6? It'd be good for you to see this. Matthew 6, and we're going to start at verse 7. Matthew 6, starting at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, all right? Now, all you need to know about this is what what Jesus is against, right? He's against people just babbling prayers that mean nothing, really, to impress God, all right? Is everyone happy with that? Like, we would be against that, right? We'd just go, let's not do that. I mean, we could get up the front, just babble stuff, and at the end of it, have a spirit of, oh, God's really impressed with us right now, all right? And you guys would all hopefully go, no, we're against that kind of praying too. We're with Jesus, all right? Um, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Listen to this, and this is where that idea that I mentioned before comes from. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him, all right? That's kind of the verse that people say, why why do I need to talk to God? He already knows what's going on, all right? Can someone please tell me the next three or four words uh, in verse 9? <laughs> Pray then like this. You see, you see my point? People use verse 8 as a reason not to pray. Jesus is saying you use 8 as a reason to pray. All right? Because the very next thing he says is pray. It's good news that you've got a good father who knows what you need before you ask him. All right? And you're not surprising him. He's not caught off guard. So pray. So talk to him about it. You see, the key to the heart of God is that you're his child, not repetition. Even length is not the issue, all right? Length for the purpose of access to God is the issue that Jesus is talking about. It's like you don't just get access to God because you pray a long time and you babble along. You get it because you're a son or a daughter of the Father, all right? 
Asking is a relational activity. It expresses dependence. All right? Now let's go back to Ephesians 1. If you need to flick your Bibles back over there. Uh, Ephesians 1. What does Paul pray for? All right? Now Paul wrote a bunch of books in the New Testament. And if we just stop for a minute and just go, he's praying for something. It'll probably be a good thing in an inspired book of the Bible to, to understand what he's actually praying for. You know what he's praying for? He is praying that all of the blessings of verse 3 to 14 come to fullness in the lives of the people at at Ephesus. All right? Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about redemption, forgiveness of sins, adoption by God. We can go through it all, right? We can go through it again in verse 3 to 14. That's what he's asking for. Now, some of you may have been sitting in church over the last number of weeks when we've been going through 3 to 14, and, and there's a tendency within some people to get a bit passive. All right? just get a bit passive it's like all these blessings the riches of god's grace are coming toward me i just can sit here and i don't have to do that much i can just receive the blessings that are coming my way i can receive god's goodness and his kindness toward me and maybe even some of you have sat there listening to me and you're a little bit more of an active person you're going peter you're making it a bit easy it's like everyone there's people here that's just like if you just keep it passive peter people just gonna abuse it they're gonna abuse grace well, you know what Paul's doing here? He's not sitting on his laurels, is he? He's not. He's actually going, let's get the fullness of this into the lives of the Ephesians. It's all true. Verse 3 to 14 is all true. But what we actually have to do, and I've used this illustration before, like a, like a biscuit that a kid rubs into the carpet with their foot, it's got to get worked into the lives of the people in the church. You with me? So here's the thing. I, I've preached a bunch of stuff over the last few weeks that is so ridiculously mind-blowingly good about who God is and what he's done for you but it isn't worked into your life to the fullness that God wants it to be worked in is, it, is everyone okay with that it just isn't all right and I'll tell you why because if it was you'd look different okay because I would look different okay I'm sitting up there today I had a rough start just with my own purity today all right a little bit bitter about a relational situation of mine and I'm sitting up the back there and I'm going God what how do you want to change me how does an awareness uh, and the fullness of what you're doing how does that need to change me in my particular situation at the moment Paul doesn't get lazy all right he gets busy in prayer to see it worked into the lives of, of people so here's here's what we're going to do today what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a short description of the theology, in a sense, of what Paul's talking about, and then talk about an application of it, okay? And we're going to go through four things, and then at the end of the four things, I'm going to call for you to respond, because we want to actually get people around you and pray things in your life to bring the fullness of what God has provided for you in verses 3 to 14 into your lives. Does that make sense? So we're basically going to, we're going to try and do Paul today. That's why it's called praying like Paul okay because i want leaders in the church to pray into your life for the fullness of the things that paul prays for to come about for you personally what are those things well they're great things all right here we go paul prays for people to know god personally to live in hope to live knowing your value and to live aware of god's power you ready for this verse 16 to 17 let's have a look at it again quickly 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You know what this knowledge is that Paul's talking about here? He is not talking about theoretical knowledge. All right? I'm sure you've heard it heaps and heaps of times, but you know stuff about Malcolm Turnbull. You don't know, I don't think anyone here knows Malcolm Turnbull. Paul is not saying that what we need to do is go and get more knowledge, more intellectual knowledge about who God is. Paul's saying we need more relational knowledge of who God is. We need to know him personally and relationally, all right? Knowledge of God grows as people are obedient. Do you know why? Because when you're obedient, it demonstrates a trust in God. And when you trust God and you're obedient to him, he kind of comes through for you on that and it builds more and more relationship and personal knowledge of each other. So let me, um, I'm into flowcharts at the moment. Have you noticed that? Somebody just, is anyone like flowcharts there? Just really logical, yeah, all the mathematicians and maybe, maybe not. Sam Baker just put a hand up. She's a humanities person. Here we go. Listen, this is my thought about what happens when you don't know God personally. This is what happens. No knowledge of God personally. There's a need to control life and to win approval. You get very busy and task-oriented and quite anxious because you're God of your world and there's a few things that are out of your control. Does that make sense? Here's what happens when you know God personally, I think. Um, There's no need to control life or win approval. You are approved. There's no pressure to perform or control and you actually operate in partnership with and in response to God, okay? You, you, you actually know what he's like there. Now, I'm just going to show you a quick clip, okay? This is a movie clip. I've showed some stuff from uh, the movie I Am Legend before. I Am Legend is a movie about a virus that was created for the purpose of battling cancer, and it's administered to people with cancer. It looked really promising, but it basically mutated, killed a whole bunch of the population, and then um, actually turned the rest of them into zombies, uh, the ones who survived. There's one of them who was immune to the virus, Robert Neville, um, and he was been working really hard to try and find a way to, um, to uh, cure humanity. Uh, and at this point in the movie, he's kind of failing, but he's actually met up with someone else who he didn't think even existed who is immune to uh, viruses as well, uh, to those viruses as well. Here's, here's what I want you to notice. I've just shown you those two flowcharts i want you to notice how this plays out in the two actors in this scene all right come with us neville to the colony there's no colony Anna. Everything just fell apart. There was no evacuation You're wrong. There is a colony. I know, okay? How do you know, Anna? I just know. How? I said, how do you know? How could you know? God told me. He has a plan. God told you? Yes. The God? Yes. 
I know how this sounds. Sounds crazy. But something told me to turn on the radio. Something told me to come here. A voice on the radio told you to come here, Anna. You were trying to kill yourself last night, right? Anna. And I got here just in time to save your life. Stop you think it. it's a coincidence? Just stop it. Stop he must it. have sent me here going? for a stop. reason. Oh, the world is quieter now. We just have to listen. If we listen, we can hear God's plan. God's plan? Yeah. All right, let me tell you about your God's plan. There were six billion people on Earth when the infection hit. KV had a 90% kill rate. That's 5.4 billion people dead, crashed and bled out dead. Less than 1% immunity. I left 12 million healthy people like you, me, and Ethan. The other 588 million turned into your dark seekers. And then they got hungry and they killed and fed on everybody. Everybody. Every single person that you or I has ever known is dead. Dead. There is no God. There is no God. Can you hear the difference? See, both of those people are in a brutal situation. One of them feels a great deal of anxiety and pressure and despair. And at the end of it, he actually says, there is no God. On the other hand, you've got the lady there who has got some kind of connection. You might even say some kind of relationship with God going and she can, she can sense and she's connecting with God along the way there. What, what's the difference between the two? Well, there's a world of difference, isn't there? Isn't the lady, I mean, you look at her and you go, she is actually quite peaceful in the midst of a brutal situation. What's he doing? Well, he's despairing that he can't control it. He's anxious. I mean, there's, there's a whole raft of things that are going on there. You see, when you know God... When you know him, it changes you. When you know him personally, it actually changes you. You see, <laughs> if you don't know him, there's a tendency for you to want to control your world and just kind of work things out. And then if you're a Christian and, and you, you have a period in your life where you're not really that close to God, you know what actually happens is you, you flip around God's kindness and you're working. So that now your working actually brings about God's kindness toward you. Do you see that? And it all kind of comes out of the fact that you don't know him. Like if you actually knew what he was like, I mean, I was doing that this morning when I was sitting out the back. I'm just going, how am I operating now? I'm operating on a knowledge of God that's completely incorrect right now. And it's not because he's done anything wrong. It's my perception of him. And it's like, I'm sitting out there, I'm going, God, would you bring a freshness and a newness to my understanding of you. Help me to know you right now, because that's going to affect the way that I do things. Let me give you some other quick applications of, of how the, the knowledge of God, uh, knowing Him personally, can affect you. Maybe you've gone through some really long-term struggles. You know, one of the things that long-term struggles do is they mess with your knowledge of God. And He be kind of becomes different to what He actually really is. You know? And maybe today, you, you're someone who might put your hand up and say, yeah, I'd like someone to pray for me that I would increase in wisdom and revelation of God, uh, God's character and who He really is. Maybe life's going really well for you. 
Maybe your hopes are not disappointing you yet because they're small. Have you noticed that? You know, sometimes we can kind of go on really well in life and we think, no, my life's going pretty well, but it's probably because you have very small hopes. And your hopes are limited by the knowledge of who God is, by you knowing Him personally. Don't you think if you had a really strong, deep, profound knowledge of who God was personally, you wouldn't have small hopes? You with me? You'd, you'd gun for something bigger? And I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convinced even for people who don't know Jesus, that they've settled for something less. They've settled for something less than what God has for humanity. Maybe you have a small God who you can control. Maybe you don't know him and you've got a small God who you can control, but he's actually pretty powerless. Maybe you could benefit from uh, a prayer to increase in the knowledge of God. Maybe you've fallen victim to the old saying, have you heard this one? God made us in his image and we return the favour. And you'll see that through the Bible. God will say to his people, I'm not like you. Because we have a tendency to make him like us. Maybe you feel insecure about a bunch of things. And I want to say to you that an increase in your knowledge of God personally will fuel security in your life. No question. Maybe that's the prayer for you this morning. Maybe at the end today, it's like, I want to go forward and I want someone to pray that and increase in the knowledge of God into me. What about this one? Go to verse 18 there. Maybe it's hope for you. Listen to this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. All right? Listen, hope is not wishful thinking, all right, is, is a theory of mine and it's only a theory at this point in time. I think hope is the wishful thinking of someone who doesn't know about Jesus, okay? Because you know what hope is in the Bible? Hope is certain, hope is absolutely certain and it is actually going to come about, all right? And when people talk about hope, they go, oh, I hope that such and such would happen. Well, I tell you, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus, you can have a sure and certain hope that a whole bunch of things are going to happen. And it, it's not a wish, all right? In some ways, I think uh, hope that's a wish is kind of a, a non-Christian way of doing hope, all right? Because there are no guarantees outside of Jesus. Isn't that true? Is that true, amen? There's, there's no guarantees outside of Jesus. So what we've got outside of Jesus is wish. I wish this would happen. I hope slash wish this would happen. That's what you have. But in Jesus, you have sure and certain hope. Listen to a few of them. This is what Paul talks about, the hope that you're called to. What about this salvation? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, uh, the hope of salvation. God's going to save you. He's going to fix everything up for you. There is no doubting that that's actually going to happen. That is a sure and certain hope. Galatians 5 verse 5, for through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Who here is sick and tired of blowing it and getting things wrong? Who's, who's, who's sick of that? You have a sure and certain hope that that's going to be dealt with one day, all right? You've got to be optimistic about that, all right? Even in the mess, in the mess of me sitting up the back there this morning, all right? It's like there is a sure and certain hope that God's going to get this job done and righteousness is going to happen. You go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52 to 55, there's the hope there of resurrection and an incorruptible body. 
whose body's not working the way they'd like it to. Okay? Who'd like a new one? Come on, be honest. Even if you're young and you just go, I think I'd like a new one. All right? Yeah, okay. There's a sure and certain hope. You're going to get a new body one day. And it's going to work. And it's not going to hurt. And there's not going to be arthritis in the morning. All right? And there's not going to be bad backs. And there's not going to be broken sleep. Is that something to hope in? All right, come on. You got to stir it up a bit. You guys are really... Yeah, are you okay? All right. What about this? Titus 1 verse 2 and 3 verse 7. In hope of eternal life, Paul, Paul writes. Who's up for that? It's like, yeah, let's have eternal, abundant life. That's what's coming, all right? And this is not... Like if you sat there today and you go, I love Jesus, I'm his kid, and I really wish that I could get eternal life, right? You just go, that person might need a spiritual headbutt at that point in time. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, that is not a wish. For someone who loves Jesus, that is not a wish. That is a sure and certain hope that that's coming. And then Romans 5 verse 2, uh, Paul talks about how we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Who here, and don't lie to me, who here would like a bit of glory? Okay, yeah, come on. Uh, Are you serious? Like half of you didn't even put your hand up. I'm up for glory, right? Absolutely. These, these are the, this is a direction. These are the hope that God has called us to, all right? And here's the thing. You don't really know it, but you, um, you live on hope, sure and certain hope, all right? And when humans actually lose hope, um, they tend to not want to live anymore. And you better believe that your whole life, there's, there's certain hope all over the place. You just go, that's, something happens, you just go, that'll be okay. It'll be all right. All right? Even if you have a car crash, you're just going, okay, I've got insurance. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that NRMA is going to come through for me. All right? And you're pretty certain about it. Okay? And here's the thing with humans, it gets really difficult when humans actually run out of hope. And here's the application for this little piece here today. Uh, some of you have small hope. You have your own dreams and you work to fulfill them. And it's not the fullness of life that God promised to bring. Maybe uh, long-term suffering has eroded your hope. Maybe you're someone today that's just like, you know, I'm taking on a negative view of life. Maybe you've watched too many fail videos on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are just going, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's just a classic thing on YouTube of fail compilations. All right? But basically where people ax themselves and hurt themselves badly and people laugh at them. That's basically what it is. And here's the thing, you know, young guys can watch those things and just go, well, I'm not going to try now because I don't want to end up like that. And see, that is a statement about where someone's hope is at. You see, hope is really important and you need to know that um, there's a bunch of things that are sure and certain. Let's go on to uh, number three knowing their value come with me to verse 18 again listen to that uh having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you've he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints you know what that's actually saying there Uh, god's riches of his inheritance are you the saints are the riches of his glorious inheritance you are god's inheritance now here's the weird thing right if I can just put it this way, we suck in a sinful way, 
and we get a great inheritance in God, right? God's pure and he gets us. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Like you look at that, you go, okay, so I don't know how that works out, okay? I just don't know how that actually works. How is his people a glorious inheritance? Well, Acts 17 verse 24 to 25 says this, it says... The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Okay. If you could give God an inheritance that is useful to him, what would you even give him? I mean, Acts 17 is saying he doesn't need anything. And he can just make stuff. All right? If he wants to make it. Okay? So here's, here's the way I see it. All right, and I'll submit this to you for your uh, consideration. <laughs> the kind of inheritance God is looking for is the inheritance that makes Him look glorious. Because remember last week I said that He's in the center of everything. So if He can get an inheritance that keeps Him in the center, where He can just be unselfish within the Trinity and then unselfish toward His inheritance, such that He just looks grand and looks truly who He is, that would be a really good inheritance. Wouldn't it? Because that's, that's the center of the universe. You are his inheritance because you are so dependent upon his grace. And that's why he likes it. And he loves you. And I wanna, here's a quick application for this point, and we'll move on to the last one. Some of you need to get a revelation of the extraordinary value that God places upon you. Now, don't mess it up, all right? There's a lot of people out there that talk about, oh, we're really valuable and God has to love us, almost, is the way they put it. And I just go, no, he doesn't. He actually doesn't have to love you. And you are valuable because you were made in his image, but that's kind of been messed up and it's been marred. You know, the great hope for people is that God, who doesn't need anything least of all a bunch of people who killed him, the great hope is that that God would value you. And you just stop for a minute and just go, that is incredible. It is incredible that God would place value upon you and say, I want you to be my treasured possession. And I wonder if you're able to get it down deep inside your heart that you are united to Jesus and Jesus is a beloved son and that means that you are beloved, how that would change your life. Like deeply beloved. I wonder how that would change you if you had that revelation. Maybe you need someone to pray that for you this morning. Here's a fourth one. Live aware of God's power. Let's just read a couple of verses. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now notice the end of verse 19 there. You know, one of the things that Paul does... Is, is he kind of uses these proportional statements, right? So we had one earlier where he says he's given us according to the riches of his grace, all right? So in accord with how rich he is, he gives, okay? Here's another one. He's kind of saying, in accord with God's great power, here's the power that he has toward those who believe. Immeasurable greatness, exceeding greatness in proportion to his might. Now here's the trick right and there is a trick because in this world god has a an undercover style of power more often than a you know a show of 
of, of force, doesn't he? Have you noticed that? The yeast working its way through the dough. I mean, there will be a shock and awe moment, right? Revelation 19 is clear about that, all right? There's going to be lots of blood on the last day. There will be a shock and awe moment, okay? And if you love him, it won't be yours, okay? But there will be a shock and awe moment. But right now, his power gets expressed uh, in reverse a lot of times. I want to show you another uh, quick clip from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. This, uh, this just has a bit of... Uh, there's no blood or anything and no one dies, but there's, there's gun shooting. So if you've got kids that, uh, that struggle with that sort of stuff, um, you might want to just take them out the back for a moment. But basically, Spider-Man's girlfriend died. Some of you are going, what are we even watching Spider-Man in church for? Spider-Man's girlfriend died. He basically checked out for five months. And then there's a, there's a broadcast that was on the screen just before this clip saying that Spider-Man... Has, um, has not been around for five months. And then, it's a superhero movie, right? So just hang with me. A bad guy in a rhino suit um, <laughs> robs a bank and is rampaging through the city shooting people. All right? It makes complete logical sense. Here we go. Spider-Man. I knew you'd come back. Yeah, thanks for stepping up for me. You're the bravest kid I've ever seen. I'm gonna take care of this trick. You go take care of your mom, okay? All right, get out of here. Go. Go. Fight me! You'll fight me now! Uh. On behalf of the fine 
people in New York City and real rhinos everywhere, I ask you to put your mechanized paws in the air. Never! I crash you, I kill you, I destroy you. You want me to come down there so you can kill me? Yes! I'll be right there. Ah, there's no place like home. So uh, even if you're not a big superhero movie fan, get the point there, right? Is that the kid goes out going, I knew that you'd come. I knew that you'd come. And you know what? I think one of the things Paul's saying here in Ephesians 1 is he's saying, you have that kind of arsenal at your disposal and he's actually right there with you all the time. You know, and oftentimes we actually go out and it's like we've got this, over a period of time, it's like we've got this, this massive big enemy in front of us and we're this tiny kid. And we feel isolated and we feel alone. And so Paul says, now you need to know that the power that raised Jesus from the dead after him carrying all of the sin of all of the world, and that's one heck of a power, is being leveraged on your behalf. All right? And we need to be a little bit more like that kid, right? Kids going, I'll be sweet. And isn't that the thing with kids? It's like, I'll be sweet. I'll just get out there and he'll come. He'll, he, just, he has to. All right? And here's the thing, some of you, I think, just really need to get a sense of the fact that God wants you to step and move in a particular direction and know that His power is with you. And I want to ask you a few questions, a few application questions, and then we'll be done. Has long-term suffering reduced your view of God's power? Has it? Has it affected it? You know, you can be physically sick and you can doubt God's power to heal you. You can doubt God's power to get you through and to give you the strength to persevere through the midst of your weakness. But what about, let me speak directly to the men for a moment. You know, one of the things that men do when they don't have a sense of God's power is that they settle for hedonism and pleasure. So they do. They get a small vision and they settle for hedonism and pleasure because they look at what they can do, they look at what they can't do and then they settle for what they can do. And gentlemen, I want to say to you this morning, I want every man in this place to hear me this morning that God does not want you to settle for what you can do. He does not want that for you. That is not the plan. God's plan for you is to push into the unknown. Don't some of you, it's like you, you look at stuff and it looks too big and you sit back and you dabble in pleasure. Don't have a small vision. Don't be happily mediocre. Is it big enough? Is your vision big enough that it scares you? Gentlemen? And let me just push, and this, I didn't even plan to say this. Your wives, if you're married, need to see a vision in you that's big enough for them to follow. How big is it? Or do you just poke around? You just poke around because it's, it's too small. Your vision is too small. Maybe you could do with uh, the prayer of Paul that you'd have a sense of God's power. 
I don't know what God's plan is for you. I know it is. His power is incredible. I don't know what he's calling you into, but I tell you, the last five years of my life have been scary most of the way, all right? But you just keep going. It's not done yet, all right? I'm thinking about stuff next year and where God's calling us as a church and where he's calling me, and it scares something out of me next year, all right? And it seems like every time, it's like we get, I feel like every time, okay, we probably, we, we arrived. Then he goes, okay, well, that was just for 2016. So now we're going to do something in 2017 and you go, all right, I just can't see how that's going to happen. So what do you do? At that point in time, you've got a decision. Are you going to trust the one who's powerful or are you going to pull up and you're just going to dabble with something that's half-hearted and mediocre and, and pathetic, really, compared to where you're meant to be? Maybe you need someone to pray for you, that God's power, that you get a revelation of his power for you. I might invite the music team up. We might, um, we're going to sing for a little bit and then I'm, I'm just going to, I'll be back, all right? Because I, I want uh, a bunch of us to, uh, to pray for people who, who need to be prayed for. Now, here's the thing. No one in this room, myself included, has a fullness of Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. No one has it, all right? So technically, we could just pray for everyone today. True? And that would be really good, okay? Um, So I'm going to invite you to come out and have people pray with you. And if there's too many people out here, we'll get you to pray with each other, right? Because everyone who loves Jesus has the Holy Spirit and I don't have a direct line any more than you do. All right? Everyone's, because of Jesus, everyone has a direct line. Okay? So if we get too many people, we'll just, we'll all huddle out the front here and we'll pray for each other. All right? And we'll pray things that are on our hearts for each other. And I'm not going to do a benediction today. So once, once we finish singing, if, if you want to go and have morning tea, that's fine. But I do encourage you, today is a good day to have someone pray for you that there would be a, an increased revelation of, of the knowledge of God personally of hope, of his value of you and his power. Uh, you know the story of David and Goliath, right? Does anyone know that one? And uh, David ends up at the front uh, with the Philistines and uh, King Saul um, offers to David his armour to wear. And it doesn't work. You know what David needed? David needed something that was authentic to him. He needed something that wasn't just imposed from the outside, but something that was actually what God was doing on the inside, all right? So what did he do? He walked down to the creek or the river and he grabbed some smooth stones. Why? Because he was a shepherd. That was his stuff. That's what God had been teaching him all these years. And it was what God had been teaching him and stirring in him over all of those years that killed the giant, all right? And you can't just grab something from the outside and kind of stick it on someone. And I, th- I think that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1 is there's all this wonderful truth, but if we just kind of stick it on the outside of you, it's not going to work. And that's why he kind of kicks into prayer and says, God, would you bring this to its fullness inside of people? Listen to uh, what a Norwegian poet said about David. He said, uh, Odd-shaped pebbles roll and tumble round the rock, which smooths them into five smooth stones,
one of which will kill a giant. You see, and God wants you, in a sense, to roll around Christ <laughs> and to be shaped and for God to do something inside of you. You need what God is doing in you, not someone else. You need what God's doing in you, not what culture says to you that you need. You need what God's doing in you, not even your aspirations and dreams, not even that. You need what God's up to inside of you. See, David was bold enough to say, no, I don't need what you're giving me. I just need what God's been doing inside of me. And what did he do? He killed the giant. So what giant does God want you to kill? What giant does he want you to take on? What work needs to happen inside of you even today? 